Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. A very warm welcome to you in the Lord Jesus. It's great to have you with us if you're here, uh, both in the building with us or following along online. A very warm welcome to you as we gather to worship God together. Uh, This morning we're we're finishing up in our series uh, from the Gospel of John. Uh, Neil will be preaching in John uh, chapter 21. Uh, later this morning, uh, we're looking looking at that, and it, it comes up, the theme of uh, weakness and strength comes up quite a lot, uh, God's strength, our weakness, and sometimes, uh, well, that is so prevalent in our lives, uh, the, the fact that we recognize our weaknesses. Uh, in, the, in the Bible, that is a theme that continues to come up, that the Lord is our strength in times of trouble. And the Apostle Paul, he, he speaks about something, about, about an episode like that. Um, he speaks about that in an episode where he is described as a thorn in the flesh, a suffering in some way. They were not told exactly what that was, but that he uh, looked to the Lord to, to support him, to help him in that. As he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, to take the thorn away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together as we come to the Lord. Father God, as we, as we come to you this morning, help us to recognize our weakness before you, that we need you, that we are dependent on you for our strength, for our help. So Lord, help us to lay down the things that are spinning around our minds and our hearts at the moment, that we would come before you recognizing that you are the Lord of all, that you are the one who gives us strength, that we would rely on you and your grace. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and evermore. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you watch over our lives that you are with us, that you care for us, that you will not let our foot slip, but that you will care so much that you will be with us and that you are with us by your Spirit. We thank you, Father, for that, for the presence and comfort and strength of your grace at work in our lives by your Spirit. We do pray, Father, that you would help us to, to grow in grace, as Tim mentioned, that we would do that as well, that we would grow in the knowledge, the love, and the grace of our Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we, we are not like that. Forgive us for the times that we pray. 
their own thoughts on others. Help us, Lord, to be gracious to others, to be gentle, to be patient. We thank you, Lord, that you, you do forgive us of all of our sins by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus, that we have been forgiven, that we can extend that to others. And Lord, we do pray for, for those who are, who are doing your kingdom work in the nations. We do pray for David and Binny in their work in northern India on the border there. We pray, Lord, for their ongoing ministry. We pray that you would sustain them, that you would give them strength and wisdom, especially as uh, some uh, pastors or elders have stepped down. We pray for David, that you would continue to strengthen him day by day. We pray for his wife, Benny, as well, and the youth work and children's program that she's involved in. We pray for their pastoral work as well, that you would sustain them and help them in what is a, a hostile place to the gospel. Would you help them to persevere? We thank you for the opportunity that we have this Thursday at lunchtime at one o'clock to pray for them, to hear how we can, we can be supporting them and encouraging their ministry. We give you thanks as well for the encouragement uh, of Steve and Matilda Smith's uh, ministry as well. We thank you for the, the very generous amount of money that was raised for their ministry. And we pray for them that they would be encouraged by that as they seek to continue in working with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. We pray as well for, for Dave, and we thank you for his call, uh, that, that you have called him to go and to serve you in the nations. We pray that you would help us to have generous hearts towards him uh, in prayer, in uh, personal support, and in finance as well. We pray, Lord, for, for us as a church here, that we would be a generous, sacrificial, and joy-filled in our tithes and offerings that we give to you, Lord, that they would be the first fruits from our lives, that they would be the best from our lives, because you are the one who has given your best. You have given your son for us. We give you thanks, Lord, for the, the past couple of days uh, as elders with the retreat on Friday and Saturday for the fruitful time of discussion and prayer together. And we thank you, Lord, for the, the ways that you've helped us to be sharpened and how we might love and serve and uh, care for one another as a church family. And we thank you, Lord, that we are seeking to do that truly as a, as a church family, that we might live that, that out, not just in name, but in practice as well. We do pray for the FIC Leaders Conference uh, on tomorrow. We pray for that and the leaders that are part of that from all over the area, that they would be encouraged and built up in you. We pray for the elders meet, uh, for the members meeting this Thursday as well, that that would be an encouraging time as we welcome in new members, that you would help us to, to grow in our uh, love for one another and in unity together too. We pray for the, the church family, for those who are, who are struggling at the moment, who are ongoing, going through treatment with, uh, with cancer, with other things, those who are struggling with pain, uh, frustration of uh, some surgeries having not gone well, and we pray, Father, for, for you to sustain people who are ill. Would you, by your grace, sustain them? And we pray for those who are uh, grieving the loss of loved ones, maybe as well those who are uh, commemorating anniversaries at this time as well. Would you be the, the God of all comfort in these seasons of life? We pray, Father, for those who are struggling uh, with uh, addictions, struggling with depression, with anxiety, with other things, Lord, that are weighing on them. Would you uh, help them to cast their burdens to you because you care for them? 
We pray for anyone who is struggling, who is feeling overwhelmed, that you would be their strength, that you would be their refuge and their ever-present help. We thank you, Lord, as we, as we come to your word now. We pray for Liz as she reads your word, that you would help us to be attentive, to hear what you have to say. And we pray for Neil as he preaches. May we hear the voice of the risen Lord Jesus, that we would see him in his goodness and glory and be transformed into his likeness. In his name we pray. Amen. The reading this morning is John 21, verses 15 to 25. If you've got a church Bible, that's on page 1090. If you've got a large print, that's on 1653. This section is labelled as Jesus reinstates Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Liz. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you that as Jesus taught Peter and his disciples for that last time, we thank you that he's here with us today. He's teaching us by his spirit. So we pray that you would help us to see Jesus, to behold him, help us to hear him teach us, 
Help us to be encouraged by his words and challenged by his words. Help us to hear what we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the next couple of months, uh, some students at school will be coming to the end of their time at school. Some students at university will be graduating. And uh, as they attend their, their leavers, uh, assemblies, or graduation ceremonies, I wonder what will be the advice that the guest speaker gives them as they start in the next stage of their lives. This is what one speaker said to the class of 2020. He said, a brighter future is waiting for you to discover. Be brave, be bold, embrace it, conquer it, because you can. Nothing can stop you. This is your moment to use your skills, your knowledge, and your passion to shape the post-COVID-19 world. Follow your dreams. The world is yours now, and I can't wait to see what you make of it. That sounds great, doesn't it? Um, But is it true? Is it true that nothing can stop us fulfilling our dreams, that we can achieve the, the impossible? How does it compare to Jesus' final speech to his graduates, the Galilee Bible College, the class of 33 AD? We've come to the end of our sermon series in the book of John. Jesus has been crucified. He was buried, but he's come back to life, just as he said he would. He's appeared to his disciples, as many as 500 people at one time. But this morning, in this final appearance to seven of his disciples by the Lake of Galilee, what is he going to to say to them in his final lesson? As they graduate as his disciples and finish the end of their three years of on-the-job training. This is really part two of Jesus' lesson we heard from Nathan earlier. Uh, The first part last week, um, we saw that Jesus is the powerful provider who longs to meet all our needs. We saw how he made breakfast for the disciples, enabled them to catch this huge number of fish, and invited them to come to him, to be fed by him before they were sent out. In the same way, he invites us today to, to come to him in all of our brokenness, with all our needs, and to receive from him before he expects us to go out and serve him. So what are they having received, and what are we then supposed to do, what we're called to go and do? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, And what we'll see is that this final lesson contains four elements for the benefit of disciples then, and for the benefit of us today. An instruction, a task, a warning, and an encouragement And as we will see, they'll be very different from your typical graduation speech today. Because the first thing Jesus wants to communicate to Peter and the rest of the disciples and to us is, you are weak, but in Christ you are strong. And you might be thinking, where where did you get that from? I didn't see that when the passage was read out to us. Um, Let's go back to Matthew 26. It's on the screen if you don't want to look for it in your Bibles. Um, This is what Jesus said to his disciples before he was arrested and taken away to be crucified. He says, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee, which is where there are now. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now, one level, that's great, isn't it? The people, Peter says he's, he's willing to die for Jesus. But where does that confidence come from? Well, he's placing it in his own ability, isn't he? He believes that when it comes to it, he'll be brave, he'll be bold, he will conquer, nothing can stop him. Of course, when it did come to it, when Jesus was arrested and taken away, the disciples scattered. Peter followed cautiously at a distance. And when asked by a servant girl and two others whether he was a follower of Jesus, he, he denied it. I don't even know that man. In his hour of testing, he showed that he was more afraid of people than he was afraid of God. And what Jesus is doing in this exchange here is not just forgiving him. He's already met with Peter. Um, he's probably done that already in Luke's Gospel. We, we're told he appeared to Peter before the other disciples. He's also not trying to make him feel really bad by going over the past again. He's trying to help Peter and the other disciples learn from their mistakes. He's getting Peter to acknowledge that he can't rely on his own strength, but he can instead rely on the strength that Jesus gives him. And so he asks Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Notice he's not calling him Peter here. That was the name Jesus had given him, which means rock. He said, I'm on this rock, I'm going to build my church. He will still do that. But first he has to, to humble him. Three times Jesus asks him, Peter or Simon, do you love me? Corresponds to the three times that Peter denied Jesus. No, I don't know him. Something which wouldn't have been lost on, on Peter to the extent that when he asked him the third time, we're told Peter was hurt. Hurt probably because Jesus had reminded him of the way in which he had let him down. He was ashamed of himself. None of, none of us likes to be made aware of our, our failings, do we? It hurts. But of course, if we're not made aware of our weaknesses, we will never change, will we? Sometimes God's make, God makes it clear to us directly through our conscience uh, where we've, we've failed. Sometimes he might use a Christian brother or sister to, to do that. And if we're the ones God calls to, to do that, will we have the courage to do it? Or will we avoid doing it because we don't like to upset anyone? Or because there's a risk that we'll be accused of being harsh or, or uncaring. Jesus loved Peter so much that he was willing to humble him and hurt him in order to restore him, to prepare him, and make him strong for the ministry he had in store for him. A ministry that will involve much greater pain and suffering, as we will see. To acknowledge we are weak is the first step in the 12-step recovery program. Step one is this, it's we admitted we were powerless, that our lives had become unmanageable. Which is another way of saying we are weak. 
But in the next two steps, there's an acknowledgement that we can be strong. Uh, step two says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. In other words, Jesus can make us strong. And step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. In Christian terms, we put our trust in Jesus. That's not just a lesson for those struggling with addiction. That's a lesson we all need to learn, isn't it? If we put our trust in ourselves, we will sooner or later fail. But if we put our trust in Jesus, we can be strong. Because he has limitless resources of strength that he can make available to us. And what's clear from this lesson is that Peter actually has already learned a lesson about humility. And when Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Presumably referring to the disciples. He doesn't make the mistake he made last time. Do you remember when he said, um, even if they all fall away, I never will. Otherwise, I'm far stronger than they are. Now this time he replies simply, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You are God. You know all things. You know my heart. I don't need to, to make any brash claims. I don't need to try and prove myself. You know how sorry I am for letting you down the first time. And this lesson of humility is one that Peter will retain for the rest of his life. He writes a letter to Christians throughout Asia, uh, the one we know in the Bible called 1 Peter. He writes this in chapter 5. He says, or starting before that, he says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Peter had first to be humbled before he could be lifted up. And that lesson of humility, of acknowledging our weakness, but our dependence on Jesus for strength, is probably the hardest lesson we've all had to learn. And we need to keep coming back to it, don't we? Because we keep forgetting it. But we don't need to be ashamed about our weaknesses, because it's in our weakness that God can demonstrate his strength and his power. So let me ask you, how has God worked um, through your weakness? How is he continuing to work through your weakness? How is he showing his power as you depend on his strength? Well, having heard Simon Peter confirm his love for Jesus, um, how does Jesus respond? What's the next lesson he has for him? Well, it's now a task. Jesus says in different ways. He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Some commentators have tried to find a significance in a slightly different ways of saying the same thing. I'm not sure there's meant to be one, but what is clear is that Peter, that Simon is, sorry, that Jesus is entrusting Peter with responsibility. He's demonstrating that he's fully forgiven him and he's sending him out to do his work. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus' sheep, or his lambs, or his flock, are his. Peter and the rest of the disciples belong to his flock, but now he's giving them a task, which is to become their purpose for living, to take care of Jesus' people. They're not Peter's flock, they're not the disciples' flock, they're Jesus' flock. 
And the way in which Jesus wants Peter to take care of his flock is to feed them, which is not literally giving them food, or they may involve that at some point, but it's to continue the work that Jesus has done with them. He's been feeding them with spiritual food. In other words, he's been teaching them and now wants them to teach others. He's enabled them not only to be disciples, but to become disciple makers. Before Jesus finally left his disciples and ascended to heaven, he gave them the so-called Great Commission, which is this that we can read in Matthew. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we've seen already, he didn't expect them to do that in his own strength. So how would they do it? Well, Jesus had promised them back in chapter 14, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit would enable them to make disciples or followers for Jesus. That would be their purpose. It's very different, isn't it, from the purpose that drives many people today. For them, it's um, accumulating their own followers, their, their own disciples, if you like, whether on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. If you go on to Google, you'll find all sorts of uh, advice for, for gaining more followers for yourself. Jesus is telling his disciples to accumulate followers, to make disciples, but not for themselves, but for him, because... He can do a lot more than they can for them. He's God. As John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. The one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So how does it apply to us then? Well, the purpose Jesus gave his disciples then to go and make disciples is the same purpose he gives us today. We too are meant to tell others about Jesus, how they can become followers of him. We're meant to teach them uh, or disciple them about how to live as followers of Jesus, how they can be saved by him. Again, not using our own resources, but using the word of God, relying on the power of the spirit. Discipleship is one of the, the key priorities we've identified for us as a church this year. We want people to experience the joy of being a a follower of Jesus, of having a better understanding of of the Bible, enable them to to grow in their faith. There are different ways in which we can do this. Um, The the key ones are through coming on a Sunday, the preaching from the Bible on a Sunday, in home groups during the week. It's also done in one-on-ones. The pastors are all meeting to read the Bible with people on a one-to-one, but the work of discipleship is not limited to pastors, elders, staff, and small group leaders. It's open to all of us. I know some of you are reading the Bible one-to-one with somebody, or have been, um, and you know how helpful it's been to them, and to you as well. I'm sure many others would be capable of doing that. It can be a more mature Christian reading with a younger Christian, can be reading with somebody who's not yet a Christian who's exploring what Christianity is all about. It can be sort of peer-to-peer, encouraging and teaching each other. 
If you're a parent, you have that opportunity to disciple your children. And that can be be really hard, can't it? Especially if you, you don't feel you have a particular teaching gift. But I would encourage you just to keep persevering. And any little thing can be a real blessing to your children. And we're here to help you with that. We want to partner with you in doing that with your children. For others, it may just be sharing with somebody something that's been a real blessing to you from the Bible, something you've read. You want to pass on a verse that may be an encouragement to somebody else. So who might you read the Bible with? Who might you encourage? And if you'd like to do that, but you you can't think of anyone to do it with, then do have a word with me or Colin or Saab or Liz afterwards, and we're very happy to try and sort something out for you. The task that Jesus gives his disciples is to make disciples. The next lesson Jesus has for Peter is a warning. Have a look at verse 18. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. He's saying to Peter, look, you've enjoyed, you will continue to enjoy a certain amount of freedom, but there will come a time when you have to stretch out your hands. What is he saying here? He's saying, you'll be crucified you will end up having to give up your life in the same way I've given up my life for my disciples. You'll go through that same excruciating death. A death in which you will glorify God by following the example of Jesus, by demonstrating your trust in him, your hope in him. And the shocking thing is that having told Peter honestly what awaits him, he still says, follow me. I'm sure part of Peter's thinking, really? You still want me to follow you? You're not really selling this to me, are you? But to be a follower of Jesus and serve him by feeding the flock will involve suffering. Jesus never said it would be easy. We heard from Tim earlier on, didn't we, that it can be hard even within a church. And... um, Paul Tripp, I think, puts his finger on this, similar to what um, Tim was saying earlier in his book, Lead, which we're reading as elders together. He writes, he writes this. Church life was not designed to be comfortable. What is the church? It's a chosen gathering of unfinished people, still grappling with the selfishness of sin and the seduction of temptation. Living in a fallen world where there is deception and dysfunction all around. There is nothing comfortable or easy in this plan. The church is intended to be messy and chaotic because the mess is intended to yank us out of our self-sufficiency and self-obsession to become people who really do love God and our neighbours. God puts broken people next to broken people, including leaders, Not so they will be comfortable with one another, but so they would function as agents of transformation in the lives of one another. We're here to knock the spots off one another, to knock all those sharp edges off, to make us more like Jesus through our brokenness. 
And he goes on to quote a whole load of verses from the Bible, uh, which speak about the fact that followers of Christ should be willing to suffer for him. First of those is not long after Jesus has ascended. The apostles uh, have been imprisoned already by the stage for preaching about Jesus. And they're released. And we're told in Acts 5 this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. The thing is, it's only when we're prepared to suffer for Christ that we will experience joy in the task God has given us and in the place where he has called us to serve him. When we are doing it for, for him. When the only thing that matters is not um, how much we are appreciated by others, but the fact that the Lord can see our heart. He doesn't need to ask us if we love him. He, Lord, you know that I love you. And I want to follow you and serve you, whatever struggles and challenges lie ahead. I wonder, can we say that? Can we say, I'm prepared, Lord, to suffer for you? Well, finally, an encouragement. Your calling from Christ is unique. Jesus has just told Peter about the death that he will one day have to go through. And at that moment, Peter notices John, the other apostle, he's described as the disciple Jesus loved. And that description in itself is enough to probably make him jealous. Um, Jesus loves him more than me. And so Peter asks Jesus, Lord, what about him? Will he go through the same suffering that I will have to experience? If not, then surely that can't be fair. Well, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus is saying, whatever happens to John is of no concern to you. Maybe I will keep him alive until I come again. You focus on your calling. Don't compare yourself with him. Peter and John will have different ministries. Uh, Peter's will be to preach, to teach, to lead the new young church. John's will be a, a writing ministry. He's written the book that we are reading today, 2,000 years later. One of the biggest challenges sometimes isn't uh, to ministry in the Christian life in general is just comparing ourselves with others. Why does that person do all the, the fun stuff and I get to do this? Why do they have all the resources for ministry and I have to make do with few? Why does everybody know what they're doing? They're excited by what they're doing. I struggle along unnoticed, unappreciated. Or just personally, why do I have to deal with all these health issues or financial issues or, or personal issues? Why haven't I got a husband or a wife I can do ministry together with? Etc. Etc. And Jesus calls us to follow him. He's calling us first and foremost to a life of peace and joy because we know him as our saviour and our Lord. He first invites us to come, as we said earlier, and be fed by him, to receive from him. And to serve him is likewise a, a wonderful privilege. He loves each one of us just as we are. You may think, well, I've not really got much to offer. Um, I've got little money, I've got little talent. Even if I did have my, my age, my disability would prevent me from doing an awful lot. But we can only give back to Jesus what he has first given us. It's the attitude of the heart that matters most to him. 
when Jesus saw a poor widow putting a couple of pennies into the offering. He said to his disciples, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of all their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Our calling is unique. Jesus values us just as we are in the way he made us. Each one of us is special to him. He's given us the particular gifts. He's given us the weaknesses that, that we have. He's placed us in our particular situation amongst the particular people we know for a reason, to glorify him. So don't worry about what your calling is, your gifting is. Don't spend ages trying to work out what that is. But where God wants you in the future, just crack on and serve him right where you are now. There's so many different opportunities to do that. If he's got something for us for you in the future, he'll make that clear to you when you need to know. The key thing is keep your eyes focused on Jesus. If you love him and enjoy him, you'll trust him. You'll want to serve him. You'll be ready to suffer for him. And you will accept that although you are weak, in Christ you can be strong. John finishes his account here of Jesus' life with a final encouragement. It says right at the end there, the final verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. If we were to observe Jesus for every single minute that he was alive on this earth, we would never cease to be in awe of him. For eternity, we will never get bored of being with him and worshipping him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now in our weakness and there will be many people here feeling quite weak. Feeling maybe I've got nothing to offer. That I keep failing you, I keep letting you down. Father, thank you that you're gracious to us, you keep on forgiving us, and you keep providing for us. Thank you that although we are weak, as we put our trust in you, we can receive your strength. So help us to go from here, not trying to rely on what we can do, but to prayerfully be dependent on you, to seek your help each day of our lives. Thank you that you have a task for us. That'll be different for each one of us here. For those, Lord, here who've not yet put their trust in you, Lord, may they, may they be able to do that. May you call them to follow Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, and to know the joy and peace and the way that will transform their lives. And Lord, we thank you that you have given each one of us a unique calling. You've given us a different personality, a gifting, experiences, life situations. And thank you that in all those, you give us a task to do, to make disciples, to tell others about the good news of Jesus. So Lord, we go, may we go from here in your strength with a desire to do that in the place you have put us. In Jesus' name, amen.
That brings us to a close of our service this morning. Uh, this evening we have our uh, service going through uh, looking at the Gospel of Mark. Please do join us for that. That's at 6 o'clock uh, tonight. There will be refreshments uh, in the back hall after the service. If you don't know someone, uh, let me encourage you to, to get to know them, to, to throw yourself in and uh, make that awkward connection to say, I don't, I don't know you, to be able to, to net, connect with someone, to make them feel welcome and, and part of things as well. Uh, let me pray uh, with the words uh, from 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen.